with us? Can you raise your hand? Oh, we go back there. Glad to have you with us. Uh, if you haven't already been greeted and gotten a gift from the, you already did? Great, our people are on it. We love to have visitors. Welcome to, it's like our home, our house. I want to make you feel comfortable if you have questions. I'm Nina. My husband's a pastor, Ron. I know, I'm talking to these two people. <laughs> I don't want to make you feel singled out, but we're always up here for everybody afterwards. If you have any questions, prayers that you know you haven't had a chance to pray for, whatever, we're available. So are our other elders in the church, and they'll be around, uh, you know, during and after the service for you. So grateful we have people that serve faithfully in the church. In a few minutes, we're going to take up our offering. And want to remind you, if you are involved or want to be involved in the building project that's finishing this building over here, you know, we're in a full swing of that. Just designate if you do a check or envelope or something where you want that to go, and um, just so it doesn't get confused with your regular offering. Um, and then prayer requests. If you have a prayer request in our bulletin, there's a tab you can write on. Put your prayer request in there. Make sure we can read it. And we pray with you, for you, over you. I mean, I'm so grateful and thankful. This is a church that prays. It's a big part of what we do. And believing that God is able to answer even the deepest, what seems like maybe the most difficult prayer. I love the song this morning that talked about, uh, just kind of paraphrasing, that uh, we, we called out in our desperation and God heard. God is a miracle-working God. That's what he does. He does miracles. It just everyday life, we don't always need a miracle. But when we need one, that's God's specialty, I believe. Amen? He's a God that hears us. He's a God that responds to us. And we should be grateful for that. We should be praying. I know the young people back there are learning about prayer. And, uh, you know, it can be a tough subject sometimes because the two things Jesus told us to do was to pray and to share the gospel. And statistics show that those are the two weakest areas of churches, prayer and sharing the gospel, evangelizing, however you want to phrase it. But he told us to go out and share the good news, to heal the sick, to uh, set at uh, liberty those who are being oppressed and held captive. So we have, that's our call. That's our call. I always like to say the disciples spent three years with Jesus, saw him heal uh, blind eyes, open deaf ears, cause the lame to walk, and even raise the dead. And in the end, there was only one thing recorded that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do. Pray. They saw something that out of prayer precipitated all these other things that would happen in your life. And uh, I mean, some of us might have thought if you could ask for one miracle that Jesus did or one thing, what would it be? It'd be like raise the dead. Of course, why not? And uh, But the disciples said, teach us how to pray like you pray, because they saw power in that. So I want to encourage you today to do that, to share your faith. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. We were saying, sometimes that's our weakest area. And for years, it, it was mine. And yet, I feel like as I grew in the Lord and uh, had more and more compassion on mankind, it began to flow better and better. So as we reach out and love others... You know, our first inclination, if we really believe it, should be to share the gospel and the life that Jesus gives us, the hope that he gives us. Amen. We're going through a lot of hard stuff, all of us, all the time. 
And uh, we need a Savior, one that cares about us, one that can answer us, one that can deliver us. We need Jesus. Amen? It's not just a concept. You know, I love the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I loved last week Frank spoke about the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's always available to all of us to come and pray uh, for that infilling. But um, there are three parts of the Trinity. And, you know, the Bible says that God is love, Jesus is truth, the Spirit is comfort. And we need all three of those things operating in our life. You know, truth and love, it's not a concept or a feeling. It's a person. It's a person. God is love. Everything about him is love and motivated by that, even if it's correction. Two weeks ago at our women's brunch, we shared, uh, uh, there was a panel, three different ladies shared. One shared the staff of direction, the rod of correction, and the heart of the shepherd. And this week, I experienced all three. That middle one's always tough, right? The, the rod of correction. And yet somebody spoke to me a word where I had been uh, failing to them. And it really broke my heart that I realized that's what had happened. And I was grateful for it. It hurt at first, just like all discipline does, right? But it really taught me in that one moment where my failings were and how to uh, make them better. So don't fear the rod of correction. The Bible says if we don't get corrected, that means God doesn't love us or we don't love him. Amen. We want to be loved. We want a good father that takes care of us. So um, <laughs> when I read the prayer request last week, some of them really were so intense. They broke my heart. I felt so bad that some of us were going through such deep things. And, um, you know, just as I thought about that, I want to encourage everyone that Jesus knows what we're going through. He's watching us. He's there to comfort us. You're not invisible when you come in here. God sees you. You know, he sees, you know, your heart, what's going on. And just try, you know, be encouraged with that. I want to read this scripture in Isaiah 40. This has come up several times. It says, he protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment close to his heart. If you can just visualize that, you know, the shepherds wore different layers of uh, clothing. And he, it says he puts the lambs inside where they're close to his heart and covers them up. What a beautiful picture for us when we're struggling and wondering, where's God? I'm sure we've all felt that way at different times. And yet just know that he's holding you close. Some things take time. Some things take time to uh, happen. And we have to walk through those dark places. But know that God is carrying us and taking us through there. And be comforted by that. I know this week so many people were broken yesterday, I guess, by the passing of the House Bill 51, late-term abortion. There's a lot of emotion, sadness, anger, all different things, and uh, we all know how that feels. But I want to encourage us as a church, kind of on a, uh, another note, that don't forget that with every baby that's aborted, there's a woman, a mom. And let's not judge the women that have made that choice. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends and some close friends that have had, had made that choice in the past. 
And I've never met anybody that brags about it. Most people I talk to, they have some remorse, maybe shame, hurt, you know, feel let down by the people around them. So let's not forget the women that are in this because there's so much said that can be pretty intense. And yet, you know, there's still women that have gone through this and not all of them are happy about it. So let's be kind in our words and in our actions toward them. Amen. Jordan even told me this last week. Hey, what about the ladies that have been there? And let's don't forget that with everything that happens, there's many people attached and the men that have gone through that with them. Um, I, we're going to take up our offering. I, mean, I was talking about, come on, guys, talking about the shepherd. And is Maxine Hill here? Yes. The other oh, couple of a week or two ago, I was here for some reason on a Tuesday night. I don't know why, but they were having kinship and started talking to Maxine, who, how many years have you been coming to the church, Maxine? Since it's like in the 70s? 74. Actually, in April, we're getting ready to have that uh, 20, uh, what would that be? Six? 25-year anniversary, right, of the church? Oh, no. No, no, wait a minute. 40. <laughs> 45 year. 45 years you've been coming. It started across town. Amen. But you really taught me something when we were just talking casually. Maxine said, you know, this is my church. I'm planted here, and this is where I come, and this is my family. And I just thought about, for Maxine especially, she's been here 45 years. You've seen a lot of changes and um, gone through a lot of things before and now with us. And I know change can be hard. You know, we have new styles of worship that have come in since you've been coming and, oh, different speakers. And anyway, I just appreciated so much when you said that because perseverance is so important you know, we all are in either families, churches, jobs that we get kind of disgruntled with. We're not happy about in different seasons. But sticking with it and seeing it through, God will do amazing things. So I appreciate it, Maxine, when you just spoke. I know you didn't know you were that time teaching me anything, but you definitely did. <laughs> we're going to stick to it, right? It's my motto at my house. We don't quit, <laughs> whatever it is. So, yeah, God doesn't want a bunch of quitters wants people that will push through. Father, we're so grateful that you've called us with an everlasting call, that you've blessed us with so many things, Lord, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, physically. Everything we have, everything we do comes from you, Father. Just as we've said so many times, the very breath we're able to take is given by you. Since the beginning of Adam, you breathe life into him. And ever since then, every human's breath is from you. Such a gracious father and a faithful father to us. And mostly, Father, we thank you for Jesus, for him crucified and risen and coming again, Lord. So grateful, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to The Light at Mission Viejo. If you are new to our church, please visit our Welcome Center, where you will receive a gift bag and a mug.
Young Family Small Group. Are you stuck in a rut? Our Young Family Small Group has begun a five-part series titled Unstuck by Francis Chan. This series is designed to help guide you out of the ruts and pitfalls that so often ensnare us all. Our Young Families Group meets Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. If you have any questions about this study, please leave a message for James or Cassandra Delgado at 982-2080. Mexico Missions. We will be having our monthly Mexico Missions trip next week on March 8th through 10th. We will be celebrating our 20th year of ministry in Palomas. Come and be a part of what God is doing in Palomas. Please contact Pat Noble at 670-5659 if you would like her to save you a seat in the van or if you have any questions. We are so happy you could join us here at The Light at Mission Viejo. We hope you enjoy the service. Is that it? Is that it? <laughs> Am I on? Hey, why don't you guys uh, just take a moment, go to somebody you don't know, and give somebody some knuckles, okay? little fist bump this morning. Say hello to one another. Okay, we good? Everybody happy? Yeah, nobody's happy. Uh, uh, a couple of people are. All right, good morning, everybody. Just glad you're here this morning. You know, we've, uh, we're wrapping up a three-part series. We started out talking about the moment that you die, what happens the moment you die. And then last week we talked about uh, hell and uh, what hell would be like today. I know you guys are... I don't want to talk about hell anymore. We're going to talk about heaven today. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We're happy about that, right? All right. So um, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to just pray. And I know I'm just, I'm grateful for our worship team. You guys did a great job this morning. Awesome. Yeah. Got us all ready, ready to hear the word. So uh, just join me just a moment as we uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just say that we love you this morning. We come into your presence with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter into your courts with praise. And God, we, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that uh, we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, washed by the blood of the Lamb. We ask you this morning that you would forgive us our sins and our trespasses and our iniquities, Lord, that you would wash us. And God, that uh, help us just to focus on you. We want to give you the very best of our body, our soul, and our spirit this morning, our minds. Lord, we don't want to be distracted by restaurants or food or things afterwards or how busy our week is. God, we want to give you this right now moment 
and we want to give you the best of this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So um, I'm going to be uh, reading in uh, the book of Revelation. I'm giving you just a little bit of background and history. Um, but uh, before I get there, uh, Jesus kind of, he, he talks to us about, uh, you know, about heaven and uh, just little glimpses, you know, kind of through the Gospels. And uh, one of those is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What God has prepared for those who love him. And then in John's gospel, he's telling the disciples that he's going to have to go away and he tells them to, this is in John um, 14, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, talking about heaven. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Uh, just backing up to that last verse that we just read, that God, it says, no eye has seen or ears heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. And then he says that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus, that famous verse, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so I, I know that, you know, there are many religions out there today, and all of them say that, you know, they are the way, but the founders of those religions, most of them, you could go to their tomb, you can find out where their tomb is, where these individuals are buried, but if you go to Jerusalem and you walk into what's called the Holy Sepulcher, I was there just about a year ago, uh, right now, and you walk into there, you walk into the tomb, there's a door, they actually have a door on this thing, that was the stone when Jesus was there, but when you close that door and you look just the way that you came in, there's a sign on the back of the door that says, he is not here, he is risen. Amen? So he says that uh, Thomas is asking that question. He says, I am the, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Um, in, uh, the, I think it's in the book of Timothy, it says that there's one mediator, one way, there's one, one middleman to get to God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, the other religions say that you can pray to this person or that saint or this person, but there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. There's no other mediator. And I, and I will say this, that not all roads lead to heaven, but all roads and all religions will lead to God. All right? Now, let me clarify that so that you have a complete understanding of what I'm saying. I don't care what you believe or who you believe in, eventually you are going to stand before God, the real God, the one true God, and he's either going to be your judge because you rejected his son Jesus, or he's going to be your savior 
because you accepted his son Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? That all roads will lead to God. You will stand before God sooner or later. I don't care what you believe in or who you believe in. You will stand before God and you will give an account of your life. All right, we clear? Okay, perfectly. Crystal. All right. So and um, let me just kind of walk you through this, okay? And I'm going to start in Revelation, and I'm just going to give you just a quick glimpse of this. The Revelation chapter 1 starts out with John, the Apostle John, getting this incredible revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John the Apostle. And, and in John chapter 1, verse 19, he says that Jesus says that I want you to just remember this and record this. And he gives him actually the outline of Revelation. It's a book that we, we stay away from. We're scared of it. We don't want to read it. You know, it's just like sometimes we think it's over our head. It's like, you know, somebody said, how do you eat an elephant? It's hard by the yard, but it's the cinch by the inch, okay? Just one bite at a time, okay? And this is the elephant, Revelation. And, and so John is, uh, Jesus is telling John, he says, I want you, I want you to write this down. And he gives the outline here of the book of Revelation. He said, I want you to write down the things that you see, and I want you to write down the things that are, and I want you to write down the things that are going to take place after this. And so what John sees in the beginning is his encounter with Jesus, and then he moves on. That's in chapter 1, and then 2 and uh, 3 um, is, is the uh, letters to the churches. Those are the things that are. And then in chapter 4, um, it's just a beautiful picture. In chapter 4, uh, John is there, and it says um, that he heard a trumpet. John hears a trumpet that says, come up here. And so what, what, what John is seeing and hearing, and by the way, it says, uh, in, in, in just, just a little, just FYI, he says, he says in just the book of Revelation alone, John says, I saw, this phrase, I saw 34 times is repeated in the book of Revelation, and I heard 26 times. I saw these things 36 times. He's just moving from scene to scene to scene, um, and it's like cliff notes. He's seeing all of these things, and then he's saying that he's hearing these things at the same time. He's either hearing or he's seeing, and God is moving him from where he was in chapter 1 to the end of the world, to the end of the age. We always want to know what that looks like. All right. And so he says that in, in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that he heard a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And that is John's personal rapture. He goes from earth up into heaven into the very presence of God. Now listen to this uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And this is talking about the rapture. This is talking about in that moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when the Lord comes back and it says, the voice of an archangel with a trumpet call and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive will be caught up together. All right, they, Jesus is saying in, in, in Thessalonians, uh, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're going to hear a trumpet call. The dead in Christ, those that are in the graves, will come out of the graves. And then those that are alive will be caught up and meet the Lord up in the air or in heaven. And John says, I heard a trumpet, and then I heard a voice saying, come up here. John's personal uh, rapture. And then in chapter 4 and 5, um, we see that John is just in the throne room. He sees God the Father sitting upon the throne. He sees Jesus sitting at the right hand. 
And, um, you know, this proclamation is, um, you know, who is worthy to open these seals? And uh, John begins to weep and cry because no one was worthy. And then one of the angels comes and says, don't weep, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy, you know, to open the seals. And he opens up these seals. And then you go through this incredible judgment. This is judgment upon the earth. You have these seven seals. Um, And this starts in Revelation chapter 6. You have the four horsemen of the apocalypse bringing all of these judgments on the earth. And if you didn't know the word of God, uh, you would just think that these, in the beginning, it starts out, these look like just natural calamities. I mean, you have um, famine, and you have drought, and you have war, and I mean, just this incredible just bombardment uh, coming up on the earth. And a fourth of the earth is just kind of wiped out. And by the time you get to chapter uh, 7, it says a third of mankind. And so the earth is just gradually shrinking, getting smaller and smaller as these judgments are coming up on the land. And uh, this is called, uh, in uh, the Old Testament, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Uh, it refers to this as the time of Jacob's trouble. And then in Matthew chapter uh, 24, Jesus said that you're going to see tribulation. And this seven-year period is called the tribulation period. The church is gone, and then God is specifically dealing with the Jewish people, trying to get their hearts to be turned to him. And it's called the tribulation period. But Jesus says that in the middle of that tribulation period, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the, the prophet, and that is when the Antichrist enters into the temple, the Jewish temple, and he says that when you see that, that is the beginning. The whole thing is called tribulation, but when you see that, that moment, that moment is the beginning. This last three and a half year period is the beginning of great, great tribulation, like the world has never seen before. And if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see, um, you know, there was times of tribulation where... Um, parents were eating their children. So, I mean, just such a desperate, desperate time. Um, But so you have seven seals, and then with this, just an increase in intensity and frequency. Uh, You have seven seals, and then you have seven trumpets, and uh, uh, the last three of the trumpets are the three woes upon mankind. I mean, you see this bombardment. It's just like the earth is under attack, but these last three woes are attacks upon mankind, just this intensity uh, bringing mankind to the place where uh, God is trying to get mankind to repent and turn to him. And then at the end of that, it's just like it's all over. There's no recourse. There's no uh, chance of salvation after the, the last of the woes. And then it's just all of the bold judgments. And after that's over and the, the Lord comes back and rescues that remnant of Israel, and then John sees what happens after all of, this, all of this takes place, and we pick up in uh, Revelation chapter 21. And John says, he says, and then I saw, this is one of those references that we uh, made earlier that he says 34 times, and then I saw, then I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. He says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is where we're coming to today. A new heaven, God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth is passed away. And um, it's kind of interesting because in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, you know, God's creating a heaven and an earth. And uh, in Revelation chapter 21, we see it again, 
a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, uh, the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there's no longer any sea. So in the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be any sea. And he says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. He says, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I want to just, just to consider this for just a moment. God will dwell with them. God himself, God the Father, who has not dwelt, you don't, the, the last time we read about God dwelling in with his people is in Genesis uh, in the garden. That's the last time that we see that God the Father actually being with his people. And so now God, again, in this new heaven and this new earth, God himself is um, with his people. He will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And, and so really, you know, when you think about, you know, uh, the, the sorrow, the tears and, and the death and the mourning and the crying and the pain, all of that is a result of sin. All of, that, all of that stems from sin. And so what he's saying, there's not going to be any sin in this new heaven and this new earth. It's going to be pure and it's going to be holy. The old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, I make everything new. And those who are victorious will inherit this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. And then he says, but the cowards and unbelievers and corrupt and the murderers, the immoral and those who practice witchcraft and idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You have a physical death. You have a physical death where your body will die. And remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The moment that your body dies, that you're going to go either one or two places. There's no in-between. You're either going to be, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. So the moment that this shell, this body that I'm in, uh, that collapses and dies, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're a believer, and if you're not a believer, then you'll be carried away to what's called Hades or this holding place. It's a holding place until judgment. And we read in um, Luke the story about Lazarus and the rich man, how the rich man was in this place of torment, and he's begging, crying to Abraham and Lazarus, the rich man, to come and dip, their t dip his tongue in water, get me out of this place, and if you won't come, and if you can't come, if you would, just send Lazarus back so that he could be a witness or an evangelist. You know, this rich man who, you know, squandered his life away, lived life for himself, squandered his life away, is now wanting a, 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 a Lazarus to be an evangelist and go back. You know, he's concerned about the souls and the eternal destiny of those that he's loved. Now, so... The time for us to be concerned about that is not when we are in our final resting place. The time for us to be concerned about those that we love and their, their eternal destiny is right now. And the time for you to do something is right now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. All right, today is the day of salvation. We can't wait till tomorrow because, you know, we don't know how many days or, you know, weeks or months or years that these individuals have. And so today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we need to be speaking these words of, of life to them. And so he says that the, the first death is the death of our, our bodies. And the second death 
is those that don't know Jesus, those that have refused the message, the gospel message, they have rejected God's Son as salvation and chose to live life for themselves, chose to believe that, you know, all I have to do is just do some good deeds. Hopefully, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds, and God will, you know, just kind of get me in. And that's not the way that it works. And so that when you die without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls that the second death. Um, the Hebrew writer talks a little bit about heaven and what it would be like. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says that kind of looking forward, but talking about it like in the present tense, looking into the future, but talking about it like it's in the present tense. And he says that you have, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Now, this is that city that, that John just saw. He saw this, this city coming down, coming down out of heaven. He says that, uh, and the Hebrew writer says that you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the thousands upon thousands of angels. This is what this city, uh, um, the Hebrew writer is talking about what this city is going to look like, what it's going to be, and who, who's going to inhabit the city. And so he says that, You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So he's saying that this is what the city is going to look like. This is, these are the, the individuals that are going to inhabit this city. And uh, so let me just, I want to talk to you about a couple of things this morning. The truth about heaven. There's some fallacy about heaven, and there's some truth about heaven. And uh, let me just point out some of the lies or some of the fallacy about heaven. Number one, that if you live a good life, you're going to go to heaven. Statistics say that 72% of Americans believe in heaven. Uh, it's defined or defined as a place of where people who have led a good life, uh, this is where they go. This is the reward. This is what uh, Pew Research has said. But I want to tell you that good people, good people, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people, forgiven people, those whose whose lives and have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. This is, these are the people that go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Amen? All right, so this is what the Word of God says. Everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for people, and people are made right with God, you were made right with God, not by the good that you do, but you were made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood for all of us. And see, the Bible says that all of us are sin. All of us are sinners. For all of sin, every one of us in this room, all of us are sinners. Not we're sinners, we still are. We, we are sinners. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, and you know, guys, these are, these are just tough passages, but this is the Word of God, and it's true. He said, don't you know that wicked people won't inherit 
the kingdom of God. Wicked people won't go to heaven. So stop deceiving yourselves. People who commit sexual sins, who worship false gods, who commit adultery, homosexuals or thieves, those who are greedy or drunk, who use abusive language, or who rob people will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love this part right here because it says, that's what some of you were. Paul writing to the church at Corinth said that this is what you used to be like. You used to be just like that. He says, but, but, I love this. He said, you used to be just like that, but you have been washed and made holy. You have been, uh, have received God's approval in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. But guys, I want to tell you that when we read this, we read this, and we read it with an emphasis on a first couple of these. Now, we read it like, those of you that commit sexual sin, those of you that commit adultery, those of you that are homosexuals, and we read it with a great emphasis on that, and then we dial it back when we get to this next part, you know, those that are greedy, and those that are drunk, and those that use abusive language, and those that rob people. Let me tell you what, it's all mixed in there together. It's all together. And the church, this is where the church, I believe, has failed. Because we, have, we delight in pointing out what we think are the worst of sins in our minds. We, we want to point out the worst of sins in our minds, and then we kind of gloss over our sin. All right? I'm going to tell you that there, there's, no, <laughs> there's no distinction there. God is saying that, you know, you are wicked if you are robbing and you are greedy and you're drunk and you use a abusive language. You're just as guilty as those that are committing those sexual sins. And that all sins in the eyes of God are the same. And as again, what he said in Romans, that all of us have sinned. And so, you know what, we need to not gloss over our sins and point out and wag the finger at those that we think are greater sinners than we are. We need to stop doing that. And the church needs to show mercy and compassion to all sinners, regardless of what sin they commit. God has called us to, to be ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation, that God is sending us out because our sins have been forgiven. God's saying that because your sins have been forgiven, go to those and show the same tender mercies and compassion that God showed you to those that you think are great sinners. Go show them the same mercy that God showed you. You know, and I noticed in, in, in my life, I'm going to speak about me, okay, because I'm, I'm a big sinner, and I know that you guys aren't, so, all right? But, you know, when I, when I look at my life, and I, and I look at other people, and I think, you know, you need to get it together. You just need to get it together. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will look at me and, and, and speak and whisper in my ear and say, Ron, how long did it take you to get it together? together? And then when I try to pick a time or a date, you know, of how long it took me, and then he whispers, you still don't have it together. You know, so guys, we're still sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. And we need to extend that love and mercy to others, okay? Let me just move on. Stop too long there. All right, so one misconception, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Number two is that heaven is your home, not this world. And Ben, I tell you what, this is where we all get bogged down. I like what, uh, you know, I heard this pastor the other day say, he, he was saying that, you know, I thought the older that I got, the, the closer to God I would get, uh, the more that I would be more connected to God. 
And he said, but what I realized is the older I get, the more comfortable I get. The more, you know, I, I start embracing this world. And I start loving the things of this world. You start, you know, like clinging to the things of this world. It's like, you know, when we talk about, you know, uh, the, I think it was part of an old country song years ago that uh, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. You know, and it, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, when we talk about, you know, the, the, the evangelist, remember the, the evangelist who walks into the bar and there's a bunch of drunks in there and he's all, you know, who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to go to heaven? Get against that wall right there. And, you know, two or three guys got against, the, got against the wall, and there's one guy still sitting at the bar, and the guy goes up to him and he said, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, oh, I thought you meant right now. You know, so nobody wants to go right now. It's like we have something else that we want to do. You know, we want to finish this course. We want to buy this house. We want to, you know, we want to get married. I'm in the middle of, you know, this relationship. I'm going to get married. I want to have children. I want to see my grandchildren. All of these things are kind of like wooing us and tying us to the world. And we don't want to, it's like the world has got a hold on us, you know, and we got to have a greater love for Jesus. We have to have a greater love. And so every once in a while, we have to check our hearts and say, Lord, you know, I'm starting to get connected. I'm starting to, to love this world. I'm starting to love these things, Lord. And my love for you is waning. And I know that I should love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind, and all of my strength. But God, I'm starting to love these other things here on this earth. My grandchildren, these things aren't sinful. They're not necessarily wrong. But my heart is going after them. God, bring a correction. Remember last week we talked about the GPS, and we talked about, you know, that how we need to um, recalculate. We need to recalculate, recalculate. You missed the turn, you need to recalculate. And so, God, we need to recalculate today. Heaven is our uh, home, not this world. And the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, friend, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge yourself or your ego at the expense of your soul. And then Hebrews says, this world is not our home. We are looking forward to an everlasting home in heaven. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into a certain town and we will stay there a year and we'll do business and we'll make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. You see it and then the sun comes up and the fog disappears. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. The third point I want to make is that heaven is beautiful beyond description. And one of the seven angels took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me a holy city descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God, and it sparkled like precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. And the city wall was broad and high, and 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And when he measured it, he found that it was square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. You know, I, I just looked this morning. Tokyo is the largest city, I think 38 million people. 38 million people. But we're talking about a city. We're talking about a city that is 1,400 miles square. That's like from New York going west over to Denver, then going south down to about Mexico City. We're talking about a city, okay? and then east back out to the ocean someplace, and then back north to uh, New York. That's big, 1,400 miles. You know that 
Mount Everest, the, the tallest mountain, I think it's uh, 29,035 feet, something like that. 29,000. It's almost five and a half miles above sea level. Five and a half miles above sea level. But God is talking about a city that is 1,400 miles high. I, and somebody that's good at math, you know, and uh, I'm not going to ask Nina to do this because she was struggling with math this morning. You know, I, you know my story. There are three kind of people in this world, uh, you know, those that know how to do math and those that don't. All right, I, I have to tell that joke about two or three times because some of you still haven't got it. Three kind of people, those that know how to do math and those that don't. All right, apparently I don't. All right, 1,400 miles, just think about that. I mean, if you're, if you're doing math and, you know, uh, uh, an average a story in a building would be about, you know, 10 foot. Every story would be about 10 foot tall. And so if you're doing a mile of stories, I believe that would be about... 500 times 10 would get you about 5,000. I think I'm doing that right. So about 52, you'd have about 52 stories in every mile. 52 stories times 1,400 miles, those of you that are working that out. Man, that's a lot of stories. That's huge. 1,400 miles high and wide. And just imagine what kind of earth that you have to have to put a building on like that. I mean, this is the temple. This is the actual temple of God. And then look at, you know, uh, at the foundation of this thing. It says that the wall, the city, the wall of the city was built on foundation stone inlaid with 12 precious stones. And the first was Jasper. Look, I've got this. I, I want you to see what this looks like. This is the foundation. Okay, 1,400 miles. Do I have photos of this? Do we? There you go. All right. I'm just going to come down here. I'm going to get with you guys later. I'm going to sit next to Michael because he's nice. 14, 1,400 miles square. Okay. Foundation. This is the foundation. 1,400 miles uh, square. So that's 14 and that's 28 and that's 56. Is that 5,600 miles? Did I do that right? 5,600 miles. I think I did. I think I'm doing that right. 5,600 miles of jasper, okay? And then on top of the jasper, then you have, come on, let's go. Sapphire. Man, this is, this, man, this is amazing. 5,600 miles of jasper. And then you got 5,600 miles of this next stone. Agate. Okay, go ahead. 5,600 miles of that, and then emerald, 5,600 miles. This is just stacked up, okay, just foundation onyx, okay, go ahead. And then we got carnelian, 5,600 miles. Then we got chrysolite, beautiful. Hey, go back to that emerald just a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, when I was at emerald, I, I looked at that, and 11-carat 11 11 emerald, um, 112, 11 carats, okay, $112,000 for 11 carats. And we're talking about 5,600 miles of that. Okay, let's go, keep going. Then you got another foundation, barrel, and then you've got topaz, beautiful, beautiful, 5,600 miles of that. Uh, Chrysophrase, uh, beautiful, looks like turquoise. Um, Jacinth, I think is how you say that, jacinth. Um, and then you got amethyst, 
beautiful. I mean, just all of those just stacked upon stacked upon stacked of that. I mean, you know, you know why God says that, you know, these are the things that we consider precious today? And God just like, you know what? Uh, you guys use cement for your foundation stones, and you know, that's what, this is what I'm using right here. You, you use cement. I, I got something a little better than cement. He says, and so he talks about all of those stones, and he talks about the 12 gates that were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. He says that each gate, I mean, huge gates at, at this uh, city. The main street was pure gold, okay? Not only does it have that, but what we use asphalt for our streets out there. You're driving down Richards Avenue on God's uh, Richards Avenue. You just got gold. It's just gold. Uh, clear as uh, glass, as a uh, matter of fact. And then he says that the first, fourth point is that, that heaven is pure and holy. He says that the city has no need of the sun or the moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb, the Lamb is its light. He says its gates will never be closed and at the end of the day because there is no night there. I want you to just listen to this, okay? I, sometimes we read this and we kind of skim over it. But he says its gates will never be closed because at the end of the day, he says the gates will never be closed at the end of the day. So how do you know when you have an end of the day? Okay? If you don't have night, how do you know when you have an end of the day? You guys tell me, okay? I'm going to leave that up to you. He said, because there is no night there. He says, the gates will never be closed. The, the city has no need of a sun or a moon. The glory of God illuminates the city. The Lamb is its light. So the light, we know that light represents good and what's pure and true and holy and darkness represents sinful, you know, just sin and, and evil. And the, the city is going to be without sin and without evil. So, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, when we see pictures of heaven, we see these cute little naked uh, angels, baby angels, and they got harps. And, you know, when I look at that, when you look at it, you think, well, that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We're going to be sitting on a cloud and playing a little harp. No, that's not what you're going to be doing. The Bible says that God has made you kings and he's made you priests and he's going to make you rulers. Remember in the parable in Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the parable of the, the man that got the five talents and he received five more. And the man that received the two talents, he got two more. He says that he's going to make you ruler over greater things. And God's calling you, calling you today uh, to be a participant in what he's doing in this heavenly kingdom. And he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, no more broken hearts, no more disappointment, no more sadness, no more discouragement. All of the things are going to be passed. Those things pass away. There'll be love and joy and peace and, you know, just God's, God's love, just an abundance of God's love there in, in heaven. And uh, he goes on to say in verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. No one who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. It's the absence of evil in the very presence of God is what heavens is going to be like. The absence of evil in the very presence of God. So God is calling you once again, once again this morning, calling all of us to just reevaluate our life. You know, uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, 
I want you to examine yourself. We're getting ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, communion. And um, Paul writing to them, he says, examine yourself. And uh, don't be guilty of the, uh, the body and, and blood or the, the, uh, of crucifying the Lord Jesus. He says, don't be guilty of that. Judge yourself. Don't Examine yourself. And, and the last, one of the last verses in Corinthians, he says, examine yourself and see if you're still in the faith. Examine, just, you know, run a check, run a quick check on your heart this morning. You know, is it, things of this world have a tug on you, and we just need to, you know, reevaluate where we are. Lord, you know, I want to, I just want to readjust my life. I want to come back to you. Why don't we just take a moment, let's bow our heads, come into the presence of God. Lord, we just ask that you would search our hearts this morning. God, that uh, we want to just say that we love you, Lord. Sometimes we have a propensity to drift away. We're asking you, Lord, that you would help us recalculate this morning, draw our hearts back to you. We know that wide is the way and broad is the broad is the gate, way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leads to life, Lord. Father, we want to enter in that narrow gate this morning, that, that narrow gate. Lord, keep us on the path of life. Keep us on that path, Lord God, that leads to you. We want to live a life that's worthy of the call. We want to do always those things that are pleasing in your sight. It's our, our desire to please the Father. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our sins and our iniquities and our trespasses, Lord, that you would deliver us from evil, deliver us from temptation. Lord, the sins that we have, we just take a moment, and just quietly we confess our sins to you, Lord, whether they're those that are obvious that others can see, or those that are in our heart that others can't see, those quiet little sins, Lord God, that no one can see but us, whether it's our greed, our coveting, our lust, our anger, our hatred, our unforgiveness, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Cleanse us, Father. Purify our hearts. Lord, as David said, when he was caught in sin, heart was so broken because of the sin that he was caught in. And he said, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, but create in me a clean heart. That's what we're asking this morning, Father. Create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. So if you want to just get up out of your chair and come, and if you'll take the, the elements, the, the bread and the cup, go back to your seat. We'll pray and partake together.
So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says that he took bread and he broke it. If you'll look at your bread, just look at that for just a moment. You know, Jewish, Jewish people since the time of Passover have been eating unleavened bread. That's what this is this morning, unleavened bread. And for thousands of years, this bread, you can just buy it at the store in a box. But if you look at it, Isaiah says, the book of Isaiah says that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So we've got broken bread. Jesus said that his body would be broken for us. But if you look at that, if you've got the right piece, I, I can see it on mine. See the little holes? Before, before they even knew this was coming to pass, they've been using this kind of bread with pierced little holes in it. He was pierced, not knowing that the, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This little bread has been coming as just like a prophetic piece that, you know, every time they gather and eat this, the prophecy is there that he was pierced. See those holes? He was pierced. And then you'll see those brown stripes. That's the baking stripes on there. It says that by his stripes, all of this is just prophecy, just right here, this piece of bread, the brokenness, the piercing, and the stripes, and what we're partaking in this morning, it's all there. For thousands of years, not really understanding the true meaning of the bread. We're grateful that God has given us revelation, that we understand that he was pierced for our iniquities and our transgressions. By his stripes, we were healed. He was broken, his broken body, broken for us. We partake this morning. says in the same way he took the cup and he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness his broken body and his shed blood made a pathway for you and i to go into heaven we all partake of the shed blood the juice represents the fruit of the vine represents the blood of jesus As the Jews would gather for their Passover celebration, anytime that they would gather for prayer or a meal, they would say something like this, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. All of this comes from the hand of God. It reminds me of David when they were gathering this great offering. And David said that all that we have and all that we are comes from your great hand. That nothing has changed. That, he said that almost 3,500 years ago. All that we have and all that we are comes from the hand of God. We're grateful for all he's done, for the food that he provides for us, clothes that we're able to wear, houses that we live in, beds that we sleep on, children that we have, health that we have, 
All of this comes from the hand of God. Why don't we just lift up a shout of praise because we serve a great God. Amen? Amen. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. So um, let me just, final thoughts. Frank, where's Frank? Is he still here? Frank, if you could just come up here for just a second if you would. Frank is starting a class. Frank and Arlene, is Arlene with you today? Okay. So Frank and Arlene are starting a new believers class and you know, and he'll be up here. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, you just feel like, you know, you want to get your life right with God. Frank and Arlene will be here. The rest of our leadership, if you guys will just come on up, leadership, prayer ministers, if you'll come up and just kind of line yourself up here. I'm going to dismiss this with prayer, but our worship team is going to continue to play. And if you want prayer for anything that's going on in your life, Maybe you've got a struggle that you're going through, circumstances, just, you know, life has thrown you a curveball. You need God to intervene. You need the help of God. We want to pray with you this morning. We're happy to pray with you, believing that God can move the mountain that you're facing, the mountain that's in your life today. We believe that God can move that mountain. The Bible says if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. So maybe this mountain is not moving as fast as you want. You need some additional help. Uh, this extra person is going to be the 10,000 that's helping you this morning. Father, we want to just bless you and praise you. Thank you for life itself. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for salvation that's only found in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for not being far away, that God, that you hear our cry, you hear our you know, the circumstances and the problems that we face day after day. God, you said that you will not neglect the cry of those that are going through difficult times, that you'll be merciful to them. Your word says the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are right before you so you can show yourself strong on their behalf. Lord, we just ask that you would intervene in every heart and every life that's going through struggles this morning. We ask that you would show up and show yourself strong. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We love you. Have a great week.